1: Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the New Books in Sports, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Rob Sherwood, the host of this channel. Today, we'll be talking with Adam Elder about his book, New Kids in the World Cup. The totally late 80s and early 90s tale of the team that changed American soccer forever. Adam, grateful to have you with us.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's fun to be here.
1: Adam, this is an awesome title of the book. It's probably the longest book outside of some of the history books I had to read in graduate school. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: Yeah, uh, I live in San Diego. I'm a freelance writer. I did uh, a lot of work as uh, editing magazines and Primarily print magazines, uh, and now I freelance for mostly about sports for the New York Times, Esquire, Wired, the New Yorker's website, uh, New York Magazine, Vice, uh, the Guardian, the Wall Street Journal, and places like that. Uh, okay. I grew up. Uh, I grew up in Eugene, Oregon, and went to school in Seattle at the University of Washington, and then back to the University of Oregon. Uh, I guess I just couldn't stay away. And relocated to San Diego about 20 years ago. And yeah, been here ever since. Okay, cool. So
1: um that, that's awesome. How did you just, just wonder, did you play soccer growing up or was this a, a later in life um vocation that you jumped into?
0: I played soccer starting in middle school, right about the time I gave up tackle football, because you know those seasons <laughs> uh overlap. Uh, yeah. You really can't you really can't do both. And I just became I became curious about soccer and really I think I think it was that nineteen ninety World Cup that initially sparked my interest in soccer. I didn't really have a concept until then, at least in in, in hindsight as as I kinda of remember it, I didn't really have a concept of adults playing soccer, really. Or like or anyone beyond like little kids. I mean I yeah, that okay. sounds kind of stupid, but yeah, it I that's like what I most recall about the 1990 World Cup that I ended up writing about. It it just sort of um it was eye-opening in that sense, uh, um, among many other things about soccer to me. And so uh I was getting a little I I'd played football for 3 years um and you know, I just wasn't that big of a kid and I remember honestly like getting my bell rung on a few tackles and I just maybe there's something in me that I was also curious about soccer and maybe a little disenchanted with football and also just that sort of militaristic way that, you know, even youth football coaches feel they have to act where you feel like you're in boot camp and, you know, getting yelled at every (laughs) practice, getting chewed out. Uh, Soccer was just so intriguing. And so I played it from, I don't know, like sixth or seventh grade onward and I'm still playing it, honestly, just in rec leagues. And I do some street soccer, some street futsal and, um, Yeah, it's just always been an interest of mine. I just love it.
1: Okay, It sounds like you're kind of growing up with similar to mine. I grew up in a roughly rural area of upstate New York and soccer and football were the same seasons. My dad played all the traditional sports, football, basketball, baseball, and he didn't want any of his kids to play football. So we all ended up playing soccer. (laughs)
0: Excellent, Um, excellent. And There weren't that many of us at the time. I mean, there were obviously kids playing soccer and soccer leagues and stuff, but it didn't quite feel like the thing to do at least somewhat where i came from but certainly not in other places and just wasn't just wasn't what it is now whatsoever i don't know about you
1: yeah similar similar to my experience i mean now my high school we had, our football team was terrible so our better athletes were playing <laughs> soccer and we had more people coming to our soccer matches ah, okay. not saying they were any good they were just better than the football wow. team
0: <laughs> you were one of those schools i was always jealous of that The the schools that had some some soccer cachet that must have been yeah, cool yeah
1: we don't had a little bit um we had a little bit and what's interesting is i'm we're roughly the same age this is a the first real kind of soccer that i remember um paying attention to on an adult level very similar to you which is kind of cool so right. adam so your your book is um structured in kind of a really interesting way i love the fact <laughs> that every chapter starts out with a homage to like the 1980s and early nineties music. Now, granted, I'm the eighth of nine kids. So this is the music that I grew up with. If you can kind of explain to us why you chose, like how you went about structuring the book and especially kind of pulling these song titles out that are really relevant to the chapters that you're writing.
0: Well, when I first had the idea to, to, to do this as a book, I mean, it, it, it started as a, as an online article, for the New Yorker's website. And it was only talking about this this sort of music video, this music video that that appears at one point in the book. But, you know, when when you have an idea and you start chasing the idea, you start doing all this research. And so I was reading a lot about the time period and just trying to figure out what else was going on, you know, in, in 1988, 1989, 1990. And I remembered, you know, I came across, you know, billboard charts and and uh, the you know box office of, of of those years, and just so much of this like cultural stuff sort of came back to me. Um, and I recall that you know this is the stuff I grew up on, both of us. And it was it was not only really fun, of course, this you know n- nostalgic and 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 everything, but um, it also occurred to me along the way that this was kind of a really interesting time. In the world, and also, I, I, I suppose, like in an opposite way for the, the, the status of American soccer, so where, you know, a, American cultural supremacy was, was everywhere. The Cold War was won. Mm-hmm. We're exporting our culture all over the world. And yet, American soccer is, is pretty much nowhere. You know, it's we hadn't reached the World Cup. It, it wasn't a thing. Americans didn't just... I mean, your average American tended to hate soccer, but more than that, they just sort of ignored it, and either weren't aware of it, or sort of pretended it, it it didn't exist, or maybe it really didn't exist to them. And so, I just thought it was it it would be so interesting to sort of juxtapose, you know, these these sort of high points in popular culture to. Uh, the whereabouts of, of this team I wrote. and, and also I, I suppose it kind of works as, as, as a framing device too, where a person reading this book in 2022, 2023, they may there's a great chance they don't remember a lot about this team or maybe nothing. And yet I think most people either of a certain age or maybe if they're younger, they at least have a, a sort of a, a notion through pop culture of, of what this time period was like. So what I really wanted to do was to tie the story of this team to a time period that that had like a real feel and a vibe and a zeitgeist that the people that I, I think most people can can relate to or can recall or or have some sort of of notion of. You know, it was. Um, it was kind of like the the apotheosis of the '80s, that sort of last gasp of the '80s before you know Nirvana came along and 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 changed everything. And so it was this really happy period. You know, the the, the colors were bright. We were inventing all these you know crazy new sports, and uh, you know that the the songs and the music were all just very um, very slick and produced, and 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 the movies were blockbuster. And again, it just seemed like this really interesting thing to compare the status of American soccer to, which is, which is what the book was about. Um, just the fact that these players existed in, in such a time period, seemed like a really interesting thing to do. And also, I, I guess, you know, I didn't realize this on a conscious level, but I just always knew I didn't want to write like a quote unquote, boring history book. And I just wanted to do something, <laughs> you know, maybe it's a shtick or may, maybe it's, you know, I, I just want to try something, I guess. And, um, all of these, I, I should mention too, you, you, you mentioned the chapter titles. Um, I, I went a little overboard on this as I usually do. And on the website, I made a whole soundtrack and I was going to do it, you know, for, you know, the, the high points in the book, but it ended up being like, just like every chat, every like page had its own song. I just couldn't help myself. So I just love the time period and it seemed like a fun thing to do. And, um, it's all, I. I brought that up to, to, to also say that it was also very, I I went to the trouble of making sure it was like chronologically accurate too. So that almost all these songs took place, like in the weeks and months that the story took place. So it was a fun thing to do, I guess. Well,
1: I, I, I enjoyed it. And I can tell you, um, thank you for not writing a boring history book. I've read (laughs) lots of them in my life. And for our listeners, this one is definitely not a boring history book. Even if you don't like soccer, it's uh, a, there's a lot in here. Um, for just kind of, the, as you mentioned that on the kind of the wrap up of the 80s into the 90s, it's, it's a great kind of picture into this uh, this time period in American history. So a, kind of a more research based question from a from a specific research point of view, obviously, uh, in reading it, there is a lot of information that does not come from public sources. How did you go about getting interviews and getting these people to talk to you? Because as a historian, that's always one of the challenges is getting someone to trust you. So <laughs> what was your process? Yeah,
0: for sure. It's pretty straightforward. I, I'm a journalist and I just approached it like that. Um, I began by calling people up and, and tracking them down. As, as I'd mentioned a moment ago, you know, this, this whole thing started with an article that I did uh, several years before back in 2014. So I already had contact info for a lot of these people when I, when I reached, reached out to them briefly for the story, but uh, it's one of those things too, where, you know, when you, when you start talking to people, uh, they, maybe they don't recall something, but they'll say, Oh, but this person knows. And maybe you haven't heard of this person. They were, like the, you know, the equipment manager, no offense to Doug Newman, he's an awesome guy. And, and that's, and like, I got some, some of, you know, some of my best, uh, stories and anecdotes from, from folks like him or administrators behind the scenes, you know, um, one thing leads to another, um, Dr. Joe Macknick, who, you know, we, we know him now as a, uh, Fox soccer on our personality. He was the goalkeeping coach for this team and and not only that but he goes so far back in american soccer he was super helpful he knows absolutely everyone he has a wonderful memory and 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 like a good you know uh, a good eye for storytelling uh he was invaluable so he would he would he would refer me to this person and that person and and also he's just this you know really uh great optimistic helpful guy and also I think, you know, to, sort of to your point, one thing that uh one thing I had working for me, I guess, to put it is that I think a lot of people, the players and and like and like Joe, for example, really wanted the story to be told. And a lot of people are getting up there in age. Uh, you know, a a couple of them had passed away already, have passed away. And, you know, I'm not going to mention names, but like, you know, a couple of people, as I'm talking to them, I'd ask them for their recollection of things. And they would just say, you know, I, I, I took a lot of headers or I got a lot of concussions. I don't remember a lot. So uh, there, there was, there was a, a, an importance to them to, to tell this story. And I don't think a lot of them knew sort of what I was, First of all, the angle, and, and I think also, you know, writers call them up kind of all the time for like, you know, piecemeal stuff. So they're kind of used to it. But uh, I think when they saw, I w- you know, how serious I was about this and how deep I wanted to go, I, I, I think it was important for them because a lot of them, one thing I love about this team, like that kind of made me fall in love with them a bit as a writer is that a lot of them had that, uh, like a serious chip on their shoulder. And I mean, you know, Twitter and, and whatever people these days say they have that dog in them, well, they all had that dog in them, like all of them, that that's what made it so cool. And yet they were so overlooked and kind of remain so to this day. And so again, I, I, I mentioned that just cause I, I, I think it was extra important for, for them, for a lot of them to, to have this story told, but it was just one of those things where, you know, when one source leads to another source and, you learn about all these, all these behind the scenes people that I weren't aware of. And I think some of them have, they tend to have some really good perspective on things because you have the players, but they're sort of in the middle of it. You know, I I mean, not to be cliche, but you know, they're sort of in the eye of the storm in the way, in in a way. And it's the people who are half a step back that really have perspective and kind of see things, see everything around it, I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it was, I, I just approached it from a very straightforward journalistic angle. The only person who wouldn't talk to me of all people was the head coach, Bob Gansler of all this. really? Yeah. And I thought that would, I mean, it sounds like this enormous handicap, you know, uh, on the one hand, like, oh my God, the coach won't even talk to me. How am I going to get a book out of this? Um, but first of all, it didn't worry me. Um, I talked to him before about some other things and He's, he's a wonderful man, total gentleman in many ways, um, but also very enigmatic. There's a lot of layers to him. He's super clever. Um, he sort of ends up telling you what he wants to tell you, I, I, I suppose. Um, and so, and, and and yet his character is kind of I, I don't want to say like the strong silent type, but there is you know this this he has this definite quality that he doesn't tend to say more than is necessary. And I thought it would be. So so the fact that he didn't speak to me didn't really complicate things that much you know that the story definitely revolves around him but he has a presence that i you know asked a lot of other people about and, and 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 things he said um i think it still worked just fine i i i'm honestly not sure the end result would have been different had he spoken to me i probably would have learned a few more things but um but that's a long way of saying I don't think the story suffered without his participation. I really don't. I,
1: I think you did a great job of not only addressing that the chip on the shoulder. I think that comes through pretty clearly that these that these uh, <laughs> players have. But also I think your your treatment of Gansler, and I didn't realize that he didn't speak with you. I think you treated him very, very fairly. Um, a lot of times, especially with someone as, as prominent as a national team manager, they're the lightning rod for criticism. Um, it had been very easy <laughs> yeah. to, in the writing of the chapters as you addressed him, um, whether make him out to be this kind of hero or an anti-hero. And I think he did a great job being nice and, and balanced with that. So he nice never job got
0: on that. Th- well, thank you for that. He never got his due. I mean, he still hasn't. I you, you talk to a few people and they say like, it's just, it's almost a crime that he doesn't have a statue built of him somewhere for what he did. And yet, you know, to, to this day, he's sort of, he's overlooked, he's he's patronized, and just really not treated with I think the respect that I think he deserves. I'm 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 not some like, you know, gushing fan of his or anything. I just but I think he deserves a lot of admiration for what he accomplished.
1: Yeah. So and I, I think you do I think you do a good job of kind of explaining the challenges that, that faced him.
0: I mean oh, this is something that, yeah. that
1: hadn't been done in decades. So the whole and you address this when you talk about the chapter when they get to Italy and where are they going to stay? What are their training facilities? <laughs> No one had had to deal with this in decades. Right. So, on top of the on-field stuff, he also had to deal with that. And yeah, that's now it's it's pretty standard. There's whole people in the US MNT who deal with in US soccer that deal with that.
0: So they actually have scouting now. They didn't have to hit up, <laughs> you know, this this the the this man uh, who lives in rural New England who happened to have a giant satellite dish and record games for them. You know. Yeah,
1: that was really funny when I was reading that, that that was their only scouting for uh, <laughs> Czechoslovakia, if I remember correctly, was this yeah. random guy, which actually I've had some interactions with him in the past. Oh, excellent. Um, okay. all, all positive. Uh, so just kind of one last thing about this. How has the book been received by the people that you interviewed? Have you heard from them? Do they like the story that was told? Were they critical? How'd that go?
0: You know, it's funny. I'm always really hesitant to like with stories I've written in the past, you know, articles and whatnot. I'm always so hesitant to like send my sources a link to the story. You know, I, I don't know. I don't want to be that like, you know, kind of fawning journalist. That's like, hope you like it exclamation point or whatever. (laughs) And so I honestly haven't reached out to any of them. I have no idea how they feel. I, I really, really don't. Um, what's cool is that like some of them follow me on on twitter and so i guess they're aware of you know the the things i say about the book and me promoting it i mean the you know the photos i share and and things like that um i couldn't possibly tell you what they think of it or if they're how aware of it they are or or anything like that i don't have a clue
1: okay <laughs> no problem with that so your book Uh, reveals a lot of tension. Um, Tension between the players, between the organization, uh, especially towards the journalists that are covering the team. Can you go into that a little bit? What can you tell us more about that?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was... um, It was a time in American soccer where they're, you know, they're trying to overcome a lot of inertia. The... Federation was just this, you know, very small operation up, up until the late eighties. And it was run by this, um, you know, very, very visionary man, uh, kind of larger than life figure in, in many ways named Werner Fricker, who was a naturalized American from the German speaking part of Yugoslavia. And like this very cliche sort of, sort of version of the American dream where he arrived here, he's a construction worker, eventually built his own construction empire and and uh, became wealthy. He was also a soccer player uh, for the US national team and, and like fiercely patriotic about the United States. And he was determined to, you know, put put American soccer on on the world map and 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 make the world respect American soccer. And you had players who, you know, were were hungry and in a sense fighting for survival uh, in, in many ways. And between, you know, and, and, you know, they're, they're professional athletes, but they're professional athletes in a sport that, you know, no one wants anything to do with in, 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 in this country. And so when, so the, the federation was, was generous enough and, 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 and far reaching enough to, um, and, and Werner Fricker, in fact, was, was, was far sighted enough to reach into his own pockets and fund the push to qualify for the 1990 World Cup. When the U.S. finally did that and the players, you know, pulled it off, they realized that you know, the, each federation who qualifies for the World Cup gets a bunch of money. And they said, you know, show me the money, in, in essence, when, when, when they were going for new contracts. Well, I'm pretty sure Fricker wanted his money back. And the tension came from the players thinking, we did all this work, we deserve more. And the Federation saying, well, most federations don't pay their players anyway. This is, you know, take it or leave it. That's <laughs> that's essentially what they said, or else we'll find, you know, 23 other players to take to the World Cup. And so there was a lot of back and forth about that. And then also there was... Um, there was the 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 deal with Adidas that the federation had, which precluded any players playing for their national team from wearing any other shoes or any other gear. And ten of them had a deal with Puma. And the fact that it was Puma versus Adidas, which is is kind of funny because that's like this really dysfunctional, you know, yes, rivalry. That's a and,
1: long history. That's a long yeah. history there.
0: Exactly. Uh, but this was a, a, a time when. Players had a really hard time earning any money outside outside soccer, like endorsement deals. Puma was paying them ten thousand bucks a year, which was like good money to them, and they paid them up front for two years. And they didn't want to. They they thought Puma was like at least being loyal to them. So there was there was that animosity, which didn't help matters. And then there was and then there was the media component that you mentioned, where you know so many sports writers and and especially their their you know sports sports desk editors at newspapers were just so antagonistic towards soccer it was never a sport they paid much attention to or liked or certainly understood and so they covered it a, a lot of them not all of them there there are, there are a few writers out there um, who you know always liked it and 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 understood the game but a lot of them you know, the, the sports writers that were assigned to the team were, as I understood it from the players and 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 people at the Federation, you know, covering it almost against their will. They want to be on the basketball beat or the football beat or, or or things like that. And so the players and the coaches would spend time explaining the finer points of the game to them or just explaining the game in general. And so as the U.S. <laughs> made Made qualifying for the World Cup difficult, as they always do in CONCACAF. I mean, it's it's going to be difficult no matter what. Um, it's it's you know it's never easy and it's never dull. I like to describe it as you know this this jungle maze full of booby traps along the way. Even if it looks straightforward, it's, it's never going to be. An American fan mm-hmm. just have to accept that. But anyway, as the U.S. is making tough work of of qualifying for the World Cup, uh, these journalists. It's I, I suppose if you don't know a lot about soccer, you're probably naturally going to scratch your head as an American and wonder like, you know, why can't an American team just swat aside these you know little third world Central American countries like that have you know a, a GDP a sliver of the size of ours, not taking into account you know that this is really about like eleven v eleven you know, <laughs> and so I mean it's you know it's 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 so much more than that, but anyway uh and so they started to sort of view the u.s uh, american soccer the u.s team in a negative light as well and and almost resenting the fact that they have to cover this team that can't even beat these you know these these teams from countries they think so little of and so there was just there was a lot of pressure it was such a pressure cooker atmosphere And, and 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 then you have the player side of this who you know I, I talked about their animosity toward the Federation with their contracts, but they think that um, for them, the future the, their careers and the future of the sport are very much on the line. Um, the U S had already been awarded the 1994 world cup, but a lot of them understood that to be conditional based on them qualifying or not for the 1990 world cup. And some of them were just getting married. Some of them were just buying homes Like it was make or break for them. Um, They would have to like get jobs outside soccer. There would be no more soccer for them. So they had to get this done. Like amid all of these things I just rambled about. Um, It was a very tense time. And as a writer, it makes for, you know, a great sort of narrative tension, I suppose. Um, But yeah, I mean, what a time for, for American soccer, even when no one was paying attention.
1: I just kept thinking of all those journalists that you talked about, many of them who are real frustrated to be uh covering the team. I'm not sure how frustrated they were when their editor told them we well, have to spend the next three weeks in Italy.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or even Trinidad. It sounds it sounds yeah, like or- it must have been a lovely trip. And and yet they and yet the night before that famous make or break game in Trinidad, a lot of them were almost mocking the U.S.'s attempts, almost, almost rooting for their failure to hear, to hear some American folks, folks in American soccer tell it. It's, it, it was a very strange time. I mean, the, and, and that's another thing I love about the story. It was probably the most cynical time for soccer in America. When, when, when you take the whole, I mean, you know, I, I recall in the nineties, I, I wrote about this in a, in a, in an article for the New Yorker during the world cup a couple of months ago, that that whole thing where like sports writers were writing the why I hate soccer column, like every time the world yep. cup would roll around in the nineties and two thousands, which almost became this weird, like sports writer tradition. And, and, and a lot of them like were actually recycling their columns, which I, I remember dead spin found out about, which was really funny. But, uh, my point is that wasn't even a thing. Like in the 80s, like no sports writer really had to write that as far as I could tell. It was just s- soccer wasn't even worthy of score, you know.
1: <laughs> so uh, I, I find I, I research another sport that's relatively minor. And every time the Olympics comes up, there's always that column that you see every four years. Here's why I can't stand this sport. And, yeah, and you're right. Soccer at that time period it was the same thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it really was. It, yeah. It's a strange time. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com.
1: So, kind of transitioning more to today, when you tell people that you wrote a book about a time that no one cared about U.S. soccer, what's their general reaction today?
0: What's their reaction to... to the, uh, There was a time of that no one cared oh, about U.S. soccer. How to explain that? Yeah. <sighs> That's the interesting thing, you know. Uh, I mean, I... You look at the last World Cup a couple months ago, and like we had these massive watch parties. I went to one. There were like I I forget like ten thousand people there, or something like that. And you know, every everyone's writing about it. People are talking about it. You know, bars are opening up here on the West Coast at six a.m. and and there's like you know lines out the door. It's so hard to. I guess what I'm trying to say is like the way the human mind works is we're so focused on, on the present that it's so easy to forget what the past was like. And like, even for me who grew up, you know, getting like made fun of by, by the football players, you know, for, for playing soccer and stuff like it was, it was, uh, opening for me to like go back and, and remember details uh, about what it was like. Um, even like reading, you know, old newspaper clippings and, 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 and stuff like that. But I think, I guess the best way to, you know, portray that is why, well, I mean, to answer your question, to, to talk about it, it is, I feel like most people kind of forget about that maybe just because soccer wasn't on their radar at the time, but it it is, people are sort of fascinated when you, when you talk about what soccer was like back then. But I mean, writing, writing the book, I think it was important to your point to fixate on and, and 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 to include details about, you know, the the number of fans in attendance and the size of the press pack and the fact that qualifying for the World Cup was like a local news item on the on, <laughs> on the five o'clock news, you know, it wasn't like it wasn't like they had a press pack. It was like, oh, a local guy qualified for for some big soccer tournament sort of thing. And uh, you know, really just those sort of classical journalism cliches of show don't tell, really. I mean I did open the book sort of talking about soccer's uh boom and bust of the of the NASL the North American Soccer League. So I was doing a little bit of telling, but I was kind of focused mostly on showing or the fact that, you know, the 1990 World Cup was on Turner Networks, TNT and TBS, which were, you know, even less regarded than they than they are now, I suppose, and uh, you know, were were commentated on by a baseball announcer. And an NFL, a retired NFL place kicker who just happened to be British. So they figured he, I, he actually did a nice job. His name is Mick Luckhurst. But, you know, replaying the, um, the games, and, and, and that's another thing, uh, folks at ESPN and, and, and U.S. Soccer were kind enough to, to, to give me the archives uh, for those games. But, but watching those games, I mean, <laughs> it's almost like, <laughs> first of all, they cut to commercials. And second of all, it's almost surprising that the the commentators didn't explain that like people can't use their hands or something. It was just like such a basic level of, of soccer uh, that it's just, um, I think to answer your question, it's it's in the details. It's in, it's in how you tell the story that, that you hopefully get people to realize the state of soccer at the time and and, and how far things have come now.
1: I, I remember watching games when they would cut to commercials, and you hope that a goal wasn't scored, a, a yellow card, a red yeah. card, or an injury didn't happen. I also remember when they went to that little box in the top of the screen where they kept the game going while the commercial was playing. So if anything yeah. happened, you could see that. Right. right. And where I grew up, we had a we had a, a minor league soccer team, and and the first play by play person was the hockey announcer. Oh yeah. And so so it people would be dumping the ball into the corner like you would in hockey. <laughs> like the, the terminology was, was similar. And to see kind of in a sense of journalistic uh, and production of a soccer match today, it's hmm. so light years ahead of where it was then.
0: It is. And, and soccer's funny that way, where, like you say, when you, when you cut to commercial, but then you come back from commercial, the, the fact that it's been disrupted is, is so uh, disorienting it's It's a game that you're used to just seeing sort of proceed continuously i guess it's it's really weird it's it's a very uh, uh not like not disturbing in, in in an upsetting sort of way, but it's just um when you lose that continuity it's it's very strange, I guess just because we're so used to it now
1: and yeah it's yeah they, it's come a long way I think is the easiest way of summarizing that
0: oh even just the, um, even just the style of soccer back then you know that was that was back when uh when defenders could could pass back to the goalkeeper and the goalkeeper picks it up and dribbles it for for a few seconds and then just boots it and it was it was long ball soccer and the philosophy was you know let's let's get at the other end there's be more there's more scoring chances what what (laughs) you know why like why bypass why go through the midfield when you can just like get at the other end if you can and try and win the ball there. at your tall people, so, tall, fast anyway, people on yeah, top, mean, and make a the name Everything's come a long way. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's yeah. incredible.
1: So any humorous stories um from maybe that didn't make it in the book that you'd be willing to share? Uh obviously you don't have to name names if you don't want to, either from <laughs> your research or from just kind of talking to people about this moment in American history and American sports history.
0: Not so much. I was very fortunate to be able to feel like I told exactly the story I wanted to tell, you know, when, when I was sort of laying it out, um, in a, in a narrative structure, I mean, the whole thing just fit. It fit perfectly like a hand in a glove. I couldn't believe it. Um, there were a few, I mean, there are a few like, uh, anecdotes and things like that, that I couldn't really verify. Uh, so, so there are small things, but I was, I was very fortunate to be able to insert some of the, to be able to use like all the, all the humorous bits I could, you know, just these sort of, there was this sort of like, you know, comedy of errors that you alluded to, like finding a place to stay for the team and just kind of like, honestly sort of like bumbling their way into a world cup in so many ways and and you know it's i mean uh, it's i'm not blaming anyone it's everyone is doing the best they can and and i guess that's sort of the the, the point i was trying to make with this book i didn't realize it until i'd actually like written the whole thing and it was published but i it's so hard to do something for the first time you know that mm-hmm. that first step is so essential but it's um but so hard to pull off, like way more than most people realize. And, and so uh, the fact that they not only qualified, but, you know, did all the things they did and, and, you know, made the, it's probably essential to, to, to make a few of those mistakes as, as learning opportunities as, as anyone would, you know, it's, it sounds silly because we're talking about sports to compare it to like getting to the moon, but it's, it's like trying to get to the moon these days. Like, so much time has passed, and you know, a, a lot of key figures have, have probably passed away that maybe NASA's forgotten how to get to the moon. And I think it was kind of like that. Never mind how much soccer had changed since the US had last been to the World Cup in 1950, but like learning how to get back to the World Cup and, and what to do once you're there was just this like lost uh lost art. And they had to figure it out from scratch. And they did it. And so um I mean, it's, 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 it's funny in hindsight, but you know, all this stuff was important and it was equally, imp- and, and and it became even more important because they were all taking copious notes because they knew the 1994 world cup was going to come around. And the 1994 world cup was like organizationally and obviously financially, like a, just a runaway success. It remains the most popular world cup of all time. Even after, uh, the, um, number of teams was increased. It still holds the attendance record, which is astonishing. But anyway, um, they were all taking notes and, you know, all this stuff had to happen for a reason. And I was just glad to be able to, to, to take it down and, and write it down. I guess all the humorous bits I got were, um, you know, from, from research I did or from stories that, that people told, um, I've, I felt very fortunate to, you know, be able to hear, um, hear the funny stories about the players and and whatever else and 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 be able to tell it um there's a few things that didn't make it into the book but it's not because they were um funny it's 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 because they would be possibly libelous but anyway that's a story for offline
1: yeah i I think everyone has those uh if you work in oral histories at all (laughs) i think everyone has those stories that you can't be verified and it's probably good that they can't be verified because if you were to put it in that's uh probably not going to end up real well
0: very much so yes yeah didn't affect the outcome at all i'm I'm happy to say
1: so you you mentioned something in there that i want to kind of follow up with so you said the Soccer Federation was kind of taking copious notes. So in 94, they kind of wouldn't make some of the same mistakes. Um, in your book, you talk about where as the U.S. is going around trying to find a location to set up for their, their base camp, if you will, for the um, time that they're in Italy. Right. They're kind of led to a not-so-nice place by an Italian person (laughs) who may or may not have been influenced by the fact that the United States was going to play Italy. Right. Um, Did – and I know this is kind of pushing forward to the 94 World Cup. Did it appear that uh, the United States was a little bit better than that in 94 or – group stages against Colombia. Did they have the Colombians go to a place that's not so nice? Does that make sense? The question that I'm asking.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if the Americans were as, um, in, in, in hosting the 94 world cup. I don't know the ins and outs of that. I don't know if they were as, um, Machiavellian as, as perhaps the Italians (laughs) were in hosting their own world cup. Um, but it's a, it's, it's a fascinating thing to think about. Um, I really don't know. Um, yeah, boy, the, the, the mind can wonder, and especially in a sport like soccer where, you know, there's Mm -hmm. conspiracies everywhere you look, if you choose to find them. And there are plenty in this book too. Not, not just that, but you know, especially in CONCACAF, rumors of, of teams being paid to lose or paid to win or, paid to do whatever <laughs> it's it's uh it's 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 fascinating that's i guess that's just another element that we all love about soccer
1: yeah it, and it it is it's it's one ball it's 22 people and there's a lot of fun that can happen in that so <laughs> as, as, in like the the larger picture here where does this book fit into kind of u.s sports history and then separately where does it fit into kind of u.s soccer history because those would be two separate kind of uh, views. So, where does it fit there?
0: Yeah, that's that's such a great question. In terms of U.S. sports history, what I love about this team and this story and what they did and just everything about it is like this was this was American soccer's like introduction to the world or reintroduction. You know, of course, I, I don't want to belittle their their efforts in 1950 and and the, the the status of American soccer earlier in the in the 20th century or anything, but. This was, again, at a time when America was, was sort of force-feeding the world everything else, this was Americans' chance to, and, and this team, to to bring their soccer to the world. And I, I think, you know, you talk about Olympic sports, and we're used to dominating the Olympics. Um, it was a chance to... Um, I had a thought that just escaped me, but but another one is, you know... Speaking of the Olympics, we're so used to as Americans dominating a lot of sports. Of course, we pay no attention to the sports we don't dominate. There's tons of other sports out there, but um, but it's interesting in a way to take place to, to to take part, I should say, in the world's most popular sport, the one that everyone else cares about, and to not be dominant and to to you know sort of scrap and and fight our way up the ladder and and and. And fight for respect, which is something that, uh, Americans, you know, to generally don't, don't have to do at, at least in sports. Um, but also, I mean, it was again, just, just a great time to open ourselves up to the world. It, uh, American culture was so we're given everything to the world and yet we were so insular ourselves. Um, Maybe we remain so in some ways, but just the chance to, you know, I mean, you and I were kids watching the world cup Mm -hmm. and, and seeing other countries play this game that, uh, you know, that that was my first opportunity to do that. And I think there's a lot of value in that um, in, in just sort of exposing ourselves to the world and, and uh, seeing, seeing what other countries, other teams in the world do as far as, It's place in american soccer history i'm obviously a little biased but i think it's monumental you know i i always regarded this as like the origin story of of modern american soccer this was the launch point where everything that's happened since it all started here It started with werner fricker who i mentioned a few moments ago you know having his big dream of having the world cup take place here and having american soccer taken seriously and giving it a real push. It was so, you know, past attempts were just sort of amateurish um, for lack of a better words, uh, you know, they, I mean, there were people were doing the best they could and, and using the resources available, but Fricker from what I understand knew that, uh, you know, that those past attempts were amateurish and yet he refused to believe that it couldn't be done. And he wanted to do, what he believed it took to get it done. And he did it. And I guess what's just so cool to me about this book is that when you talk to people, um, talking to people about, about this time period and what they wanted about soccer, what what they wanted out of soccer, what they hoped soccer could become American soccer. Um, like everything came true. We're like, we, we made it, we're there. Um, and, it all started here. And so that's a long way of saying that, uh, I, I think this, this is like just so important. This, this is, you know, kind of the Rosetta stone in some ways to, to American soccer, you know, the 1994 world cup and the 1994 team gets a lot of credit and, and they deserve everything they get for sure. Um, cause they did a lot. And, you know, I, I, looked up to them and, and paid them a lot of attention, obviously at the time, but, uh, learning about what this team did was just so cool. And, and I don't mean to compare them to the 1994 team, uh, because I do want to say that they were like such a different team too. I mean, the coach, the resources, but just the personalities too. It was just this, I would hope that they never sort of get, get blended or confused with each other because they are two very distinct teams in such interesting ways. Um, and so I just, uh, yeah, I, I think this team is important and, and a lot of them are still in the game in some capacity, all except for like, you know, one that I can think of, honestly. And so they're all sort of giving back to it um, and, 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 or, and, and I should say earning a living off of it, which was <laughs> nothing but a dream back when they were <laughs> the fighting time. to make the World Cup. Exactly. Exactly. And so um, this is where it all began, is what I would say.
1: It's interesting to to use an allusion that you made earlier um, with regarding to going to the moon. If 94 World Cup team is Apollo 11, this is like Apollo 8, the first one that goes to the moon and goes around it. Without Apollo 8, you don't get Apollo 11.
0: Yeah, yeah, very much so. It's funny you bring that up, too. Maybe it's my fault. Yeah. I drew a lot of inspiration from this book from, uh, the right stuff by Tom Wolf, the book. Now I know that's about the mercury program, but you know, there were so many like really interesting. First of all, I love the book. I love Tom Wolf. Um, I know he's not everyone's cup of tea, but, uh, I absolutely idolize the guy, but I just saw such, such really interesting overlaps. Um, you know, you have, uh, you have these two sort of groups of, of, Young, very driven men, both both the aspiring astronauts and, and these and this US soccer team, you know trying to do this thing that a lot of people thought were impossible, and to bring the United States you know to I guess to a better place, to a better future in a way. But then also you have these other sort of subtext throughout both books of, of both the astronauts and the players sort of wrestling with these notions of like Americanism patriotism and celebrity. Although, you know, the, the astronauts and the players are coming at celebrity from completely different angles. You know, <laughs> the, the astronauts were like just hounded by, by the media. Whereas, whereas these poor guys couldn't, couldn't get attention no matter how hard they tried. But, you know, that's, that's another element I love about these particular players. And you see it in, in obviously subsequent U S men's national team squads, but, So many of these players were, um, second generation Americans, their, their, their parents came from, um, came from elsewhere, usually Europe or South America. And to them, you know, they, they grew up differently than, than most kids, including myself, where soccer was this huge thing in their household. I mean, among many different, many differences in, in, in growing up with a, with an immigrant family, but. To live your life in a household where soccer is the most important thing and to like dream of bringing your own country, the United States into it one day and then to be able to do it was just like to, to them. I mean, the, the significance of doing that to them, folks like Peter Vermees told me or, or John Harks or guys like that. Tony Miola was just, I mean, what an amazing thing to do, you know? Yeah. Well, so
1: Adam, awesome. Thank you. So what's, what's next for you?
0: Uh I don't have a book next. You know, I I've been trying to help out this one uh very legendary sports illustrator photographer named George Tiedemann. He's a wonderful guy. Um he he worked for the NASL and took these gorgeous uh photos of Pele uh throughout his NASL career. He's been trying to been trying to do a photo book, a coffee table book on Pele. And I've been I've been trying to help him, you know, um sell it and pitch it and, and whatnot for the past couple of years, like, you know, long before Pelé passed, passed away. And it's just so weird. We, we, we can't get interest in, and we don't know why. Um, that's something I'd love to, I'd love to see happen. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to wet my beak or anything. I just want to see this thing happen. It's, I've seen the photos and it'd be so cool. Um, but other than that, I'm just going back to uh, writing about, I write a little bit about soccer um, beyond this book. I write about baseball um and then stuff like surfing and skateboarding and whatnot and uh just just working on that for a moment. Writing a book is such a long multifaceted and 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 very stressful process. It's been awesome. Uh but uh it's it's nice to it's also nice to work on I guess smaller projects, if you will, and, and get back to that. That's been a lot of fun to get back to. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't, a lot of people ask me, I have to say, like, am I going to write a book about the 94 team now? I have no idea. Um, I haven't been approached about it. It'd be an incredible story. The the stakes are a lot different, but there's still a lot of narrative tension and and, 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 and still some high stakes and the music would be pretty good too. I have to say, <laughs> yeah, music would be pretty good. Good nineties music. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Yep. But, um, but no, I, I don't know. Um, I also don't want to pigeon my pigeonhole myself as mm-hmm. as working in soccer. I mean, I, uh, uh, how can I say this? It's not easy making a living in soccer in the United States. You know, I, I, I talked a little while ago about how you know all, all these big dreams of, of visionaries came true 30 some years later, but it's still, there's still just this thing with, with soccer in this country. Um, you know, the, the gatekeepers within, within the media just mostly don't, don't, don't take it seriously or, don't, or I should say, don't believe in it. And, you know, we, we, we see it all the time. The, all, all, all of the, or most of the blogs for MLS teams just got, uh, basically liquidated kind of, a couple of weeks ago. Um,
1: yeah, S P Nation. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. With SB Nation. And it's just, it's really tough to, first of all, to, to make a living full-time uh, in, in soccer here. And and also I don't want to, as a journalist, be overly servile and and, and reliant on, <laughs> you know, folks like the U.S. Soccer Federation or certain sources yeah. or, or whatever. I really want to, always leave myself the opportunity to like burn bridges, I guess, this is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> if, if I, if I need to, or if the story demands it, I want to be able to like, you know, walk away, I guess.
1: Understood. Well, Adam, uh, we've taken a ton of your time. Um, so let me just remind everybody, uh, Adam Elder, new kids in the world cup, the totally late eighties and early nineties tale of the team that changed American soccer forever published by the University of Nebraska Press. Um, Go get a copy. It's a great read. Adam, thank you so much for your time.
0: Hey, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for letting me uh, ramble on about all this. I I absolutely love it. And uh, so I appreciate the chance to do so. And this is Rob Schur from the New Books Network.